From the Montana Cayman, University of Montana's independent, student-run newspaper, this is the Cayman Cast for the week of January 24th. I'm Austin Amistoy. Nearly 10 years ago, former President Barack Obama announced a program designed to protect undocumented immigrants brought into the United States as children. The policy, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, went into place in June 2012. By 2020, more than 600,000 former childhood arrivals had secured protection from deportation and the ability to work in the United States. But the policy faced numerous legal and executive challenges over the years that fueled a vocal nationwide movement of DACA recipients fighting for the rights of other dreamers. On this episode, the story of one activist and DACA recipient living in Missoula who overcame unimaginable challenges and is working to help other dreamers do the same. Nereda Galero has lived in Missoula for more than a decade. She's pursuing a nursing degree at Missoula College and working on her clinicals at St. Patrick's Hospital, but none of that was possible before 2012 when DACA went into effect. She had lived a secret life an undocumented immigrant brought into the United States as a child, unable to apply for financial aid, get a driver's license, or work legally. Calero's childhood in Chihuahua, Mexico, was often hard, as was her relationship with her parents. Her eventual border-crossing attempts were even harder. But she never stopped fighting for a place in the United States and is now an immigrants' rights activist who's advocated to lawmakers from Montana to D.C. on behalf of other dreamers. Joining me now on the Kaiman cast is Kaiman photo editor Antonio Ibarra. Tony, thank you for being on today to talk more about Galero's story. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I'm so happy to talk about this person's fabulous life story and her achievement. Galero's story is one with a lot of twists and turns, but one of the most important twists happens in 2017, after she's received DACA status, about five years after. President Trump announced in September of that year that the administration would soon try to end the DACA program. Where was Calero when that announcement happened, Tony, and how did she react? So Nereida was uh, about to take her kids to school that morning. Um, She was then starting to work as a psychiatric technician at St. Patrick's Hospital. Um, That day I was home, and when I saw that they brought brought down the program, I was crying in my couch because I would see other dreamers that were on TV, and they were in the streets, you know, protesting and crying and... um, I said, I got to do something about this because I was full with anger and I, I just felt really upset, you know, that we're trying to do the best we can, like going to school work and yet we are being attacked mm-hmm. that way. That so was I said, I, I the worst moment of Nadeida's life. And she ta- tells me about it and that she just asked God what was going to happen to her because she started crying. She started just imagining what would happen to her and her family. Um, that day on we gave we give so much to to society you know it's like why would you want to take this away mm-hmm. why why this hate against us why, why would somebody want to attack us like this of course we know that the daca program did not end under president trump there were some legal battles that resulted in the program staying in place at least for another few years had daca been rescinded what would have likely happened to Galero and her family? 
Well, what would have happened is um, she wouldn't be able to work anymore. So her job at St. Patrick's uh, would have just ended. Um, and her life would also be at risk and her stability. She has three kids now, um, three younger kids. Um, and they were all born on, on in the U.S., so uh, they're U.S. citizens. But Nereida um, is still undocumented, so her situation would have meant that she would have to go back to Mexico and um, leave her kids here and um, her other family here. So it would have stopped her from dreaming. It would have stopped her from chasing what she was trying to achieve, which is trying to become a nurse. So it would have been devastating for her, and that's what she keeps telling me. So President Trump announces he's intending to rescind the DACA program. Obviously, it's devastating for Galero, but what does she choose to do after that moment? So that day, um, that was her one of her many epiphany moments. So she decided to just drive to a hardware store and buy a lot of uh, markers that you can write on cars. Um, so she went to the store, bought a box of markers, and just started writing supportive messages for DACA. Um, and just decided to drive around town, particularly the downtown area of Missoula. That day when she was driving around in her car, she took a picture of it um, and she just documented her whole day uh, on social media and she just shared it with her friends. Um, and it soon became viral, um, like at least around the state and in other states as well. And so other immigrants' rights organizations like um, Forward USA, um, and among others, um, they started contacting her and telling her, we want to meet you. We want you to be part of our organization. Your message is so clear. It's It needs to be known. And we just want to amplify your voice so more people can know your message. So from that day on, that's when she started her work as, um, as an activist. Um, she started engaging more with these organizations. Galeto's road to activism starts a lot uh, earlier than 2017. Tony, back when she was living in Chihuahua, Mexico, that's really where her story begins. Uh, that's where she was born and raised. What was life in Chihuahua like for Nereda? Um, it was pretty devastating and honestly dangerous for her. Um, as she tells me, her her parents had a troubled marriage. Um, her dad had uh, a problem with alcohol and women as well. And her mom, Rosalva, she had a troubled marriage with um, her husband, Guadalupe. So was kind of in and out of the picture then. They just had a lot of problems. It was an unstable environment at the house. Um, and oftentimes, Nereida would just be out in the streets because she didn't really want to be at home uh, seeing those problems. And so it was a really tough upbringing. She just remembers her dad just going out every day and, and drinking and having to go uh, fetch him every once in a while. Um, and also just seeing her mom having this troubled marriage with this man. So um, it, in the end, it really hurt that relationship. Um, so everybody said I was my dad's favorite, right? Growing up, he was so loving, and even though he he drank all the time, but and he even said it that I was his favorite child, which I don't think it's fair, you know. But he would say that. Um, and when my parents divorced, my my mom was with somebody else, and she came to the states with that person and brought mm. my sister with her. And then. Um, later like a few months later she got my brother here when my brother stayed with my grandma in mexico and i stayed with my dad mm -hmm. so eventually um, nereda's mother rosalba chooses to go to the united states with some of her children but nereda stays behind why does she make that choice 
Curiously, she really loved her dad, despite all the problems that Guadalupe had. Um, she just really loved him. She was very attached. And if there's one thing that I can tell you from from being Mexican is that you're very attached to your family just no matter what. So she just really loved her dad and she just felt like she would abandon him if she decided to go with her mom. And I said, I want to stay with him. You know, when they signed the papers, the divorce papers, I said, I I need, I feel like I needed to take care of my dad. Mm. Like I would sleep with my dad and my brother and sister would sleep with my mom at night. So I was very attached to my dad. Like I would even have nightmares of if my dad dies, I'll just jump in the grave. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, it was that much. And Despite her mom's efforts to try and bring her to the U.S., um, she decided to stay. But looking back now, she she does regret not leaving with her mom um, and having to go through that whole border crossing uh, process, which has been very traumatic. How old is Nereda during this time when she's staying with her dad in Chihuahua? She was seven years old then, so yeah. Wow. A young one. <laughs> yeah. So I have to imagine that that experience of just being with her father, who, as we've discussed, had, you know, problems with, you know, alcohol abuse and um, with, you know, women was, as you said, a very difficult period for for Nereda. What did she tell you life was like during that time before she came to the United States? It was very troubling. She... Um, after her parents divorced because um, Rosalba just couldn't take the problem, Guadalupe's problems anymore, Guadalupe just started living with this other woman who, she, who he was having an affair with um, when he was still married to Rosalba. And so this new family that Nereida ended up coming into was very unstable too, and she wasn't very well accepted. So as you can imagine, being a seven-year-old and trying to fit into a new family, because Guadalupe, despite that, he uh, divorced Rosalva. He still had that drinking problem, and what, when Nereida was having living under in the same house with this other woman, um, this woman made her go fetch her dad continuously from the cantina. So she would often be out in the streets late at night, and it was. She tells me this now. She's just glad that nothing ever happened to her when she had to go fetch her dad. And then I would just go around the town because my dad was drunk, and. Um, I would go to my uncle's house sometimes, and so one of my other uncles saw me and they took me in. He had two daughters, he has two daughters, mm -hmm. and my aunt, and they they welcomed me and treated me as one of their own. And that's when her mom, who knew of the situation, but she couldn't do anything because she was on the other side, um, she contacted her, her uh, this uncle um, and just coordinated uh, a way for Nadia to cross the U.S. Uh, across to the U.S. So um, that's when one of Nereida's aunts, she uh, coordinated the crossing with um, Rosalva's uh, cousin, Mirna, to try and get um, Nereida to come to the U.S. I remember just saying bye to my dad and you know, going away in a car, and then we get to the border. And my aunt started going around the streets and asking for a coyote. Mm -hmm. So we ended up getting a coyote. A person or a smuggler or, or a coyote, as they know them there. They took us into a house and where they had more people. And I think the first time was like three in the afternoon. It was really hot, the Arizona desert. Mm -hmm. And we just started walking. 
in the desert. And I remember this line, you know, this line of about 15 people, I can say. 15 and, people? Yeah. Guided. Yeah, including kids. I remember there was a one set of twins, little mm. girls, and they just kept on crying mm. and crying because I think they were so hot and we were carrying like gallons of water in our bags and, and it was just so dry and the bushes would just scratch our faces and um the first time we heard a helicopter mm -hmm. and and um they, the coyote told us hey get down you know get down under the tree so we all went under the tree and and um later like five minutes after officers came surrounding us and was, yeah so that was the first time you that was the first time that we tried you were apprehended by the my, custom agents or yeah. whatever they call them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. What was going through your mind when you heard those helicopters and oh my God. you were trying to stay low? Ooh, I didn't know what was going on. I yeah. just, I when I saw, because one of the officers was um, running after the coyote. Mm -hmm. And when he came to us, it was all full of blood. His arms were full of blood because of the dry bushes. You know, he was trying to get in between them. Yeah. And I got so scared and I, I remember I just kept on screaming, Mom, I was yelling for my mom. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, if she wasn't even there, but maybe that was just a kid's reaction, you know? Yeah. So Calero is captured along with her aunt by, you know, U.S. border agents. And they spend some time in a, you know, processing facility and they're, they're sent back. How many more attempts do Calero and her aunt make across the border before they finally succeed? It was five attempts, which was crazy when I first had it, uh, when I first heard it, um, because it just showed their willingness to actually get across. So five attempts, and the fifth one was um, was the one where they were successful to, to get across. Crossings like this, Tony, would be just like traumatic for anyone at any age, but Nareda during these attempts is like eight years old, right? Mm -hmm. What did she, I mean, did she tell you what effect this has had on her, you know, then or since? Oh, it's had a tremendous effect. It's pro probably one of the most traumatic events in her life. I mean, just imagine an eight-year-old girl just trying to, to make that treacherous journey and through the, uh, through a desolate terrain, like the desert. Um, and she told me that one of the most traumatic experiences of that trip, or two traumatic experiences, was um, being rounded up by uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol um, and, a and a helicopter who chased them down that during that first attempt, and just being sent to this processing facility and put behind cages. And like the third attempt that they were trying to cross, they were um, they were ambushed by um, like some some dogs when they were crossing this town in Arizona and it was she just remembers having to run through the desert at night. Well, eventually Calero makes it successfully to the United States. Uh, what does she tell you about that reunion that she gets to have with her family and her siblings? It was very peaceful and fulfilling. Um Nadia had a troubled relationship with her mom when she was a child still, but she was very attached to her sister Marisa. Um so Marisa went to the U.S. with Rosalva when they first left, uh, like a year and a half before Nereida made that trip. So Nereida was just so happy to see um, her sister Marisa and 
she just noticed how different she was and that's what struck her the most and she was just surprised at how her sister changed in that perhaps short span of time. I didn't recognize my sister because <laughs> my sister was this little skinny thing when she came from Mexico. Yeah. And then she had gained weight. I told her, you puffed up. <laughs> and me too, I did now. But, um, you said Caledo talked to you about this sort of strange relationship with her mother growing up. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit more about that relationship and, and how she views her mother's actions now that she's an adult. So Rosalva was very strict in her parenting. Um, uh, Nerida grew up in a time when, like, a lot of parents used to, like, hit children as a form of education um, and also just say, just be very strict and, like, perhaps mean if you're looking at it now. So she was very strict and living with Rosalva in the other, uh, in the U.S., in Las Vegas, um, she kept being just this strict parent who didn't allow a lot of freedom for Nereida but if you ask Rosalva now she did it to protect her because at the time when they were living in Las Vegas they lived in a in a troubled suburb so there was like a lot of crime and um, and violence going around so um, if you ask Rosalva now she did it as a way to to uh, protect her daughter and also raise her to be a, a, the tough and resilient woman that she's now um, it was a troubled relationship early on and that soon changed after they moved to Missoula and after Nereida had her first kid because Rosalva had that, became that mo- a grandmotherly figure. And sh- since then, she's been very supportive of Nereida because um, she's, she's proud to see her daughter com- accomplishing things and pursuing her dreams now that she's, uh, she was granted protection under DACA. So Calero then grows up in the United States. Finally, when DACA is approved in 2012, she applies and is accepted to the program pretty quickly. She does all this activism work. She's working to get the DREAM Act passed through Congress, which has been through numerous failed attempts through the years, and, you know, we're still not there. What does she tell you about why she does the work that she does? What's driving Nadela to keep speaking out on behalf of others who were in her situation in the past and and maybe are DACA recipients now? Um, she keeps going back to that day when she that two thousand day in two thousand seventeen when her whole world seemed to collapse. If it wasn't for DACA, she was she wouldn't be able to do the things that she loves, and she couldn't be she couldn't continue dreaming. And so she's able to connect um, through that with other people who are also in the same situation as Nadeva. Uh, a lot of DACA recipients are or kids in their 20s or their late 30s and they're trying to fulfill their higher education dreams and or just pursuing jobs and making a life out there. So she connects through them knowing that their whole livelihoods would be at stake. DACA is on ice right now for future recipients as of July of this year. You know, a federal judge halted new applications but protected current ones. So current DACA recipients, current dreamers are still protected. Mm-hmm. And this long gestating dream act, you know, Nereda's keeping hope alive for that, as are many others. So what's next for Galero? And maybe alternatively or or equally, what's next for the story of dreamers in the United States? So Canedo doesn't plan on stop on stopping her dreams. Um, she she's plan she, right now. She's in her second semester of nursing school, 
and she plans to finish that soon here in the couple years. And she wants to hopefully land a job at St. Pat's, her biggest dream. And she says that perhaps it's out of reach, but for her, it's like that that goal is to become a senator and to like advocate for other people like her um, at, at a higher level, and also have the opportunity to to carry the message of of DACA receiving the just immigrants across the uh, across the country. Once again, Antonio Ibarra with me in the Don Anderson Hall audio booth sharing the story of Nereda Calero. Tony, thank you very much for your reporting. Thank you so much, Austin. Glad to be here. In his conversations with Nereda, Antonio asked her what she hopes to achieve in her fight for the rights of undocumented immigrants. You know, I really hope I can, we can give, um, that certain places give us opportunities to come and um, educate people. Because if we educate people, then people will support us and then we can, we can have a path to citizenship for other immigrants. For more on Galero's activism and the challenges immigrants face in Montana and beyond, check out the second look in your Kaimancast feed this Monday. The Kaimancast is produced and edited by me, Austin Amistoy. Reporting by Antonio Ibarra. That's it for this week's episode. Next time, I sit down with a former resident assistant in a UM dorm who says RAs need stronger support from the university. I'll see you there.